Our scripture passage for today is a short passage, reasonably short. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. If you have a Bible, I would encourage you to turn and read aloud as I read from, read along as I read aloud from the Word of God. It would be strange if you were to read from different translations, but let me read and you follow along. Genesis 50, 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Let us pray. Dear Father, we give thanks for your word, which is a great source of comfort and assurance. Even as Joseph delivered reassurance and comfort to his brothers when they were in fear of what he would do to them, your word delivers great hope, comfort, and assurance to us as people who have been called to trust in you through the Holy Spirit, some who do not know you, Perhaps all of us come before you. We need these words of comfort to know that you will treat us as Joseph treated his brothers, not holding it against us, but instead, because we beseech you, because we seek your favor, because we plead with you and we ask you for your forgiveness of what we have done wrong against you, that you will forgive us, that you will grant us peace, that you will provide for us and our children, and that you will bring great joy into our lives. I pray that my words would be faithful in keeping with your word, because your word alone is holy, having the power through the work of your Holy Spirit to transform our lives so that we live lives that are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Deliverance. What this part of the account of the life of Joseph and his brothers is all about is deliverance. As we've examined over the last three weeks, the prospects for the beginning of the next century and millennium, we would have to grant that our chief goal, yours and mine, naturally, is the instinct for survival. We have an inbred condition which causes us particularly when there is an unknown situation, to seek deliverance from it. We do not like the unknown. Just look on the back wall at that little white box that has the digital dial on it, and you'll understand that we do not like the unknown and the uncertain. Look at the silver octagon or hexagon above it that has the hands that go around. 
And you'll see again that we do not like the unknown and the uncertain. How many people are wearing a watch? Raise your hand if you have a watch on. Ah, again, we have plenty of signs and symbols that indicate to us. (laughs) Some of you are looking at your watches right now. Oh, that I had not reminded you of that. (laughs) That's okay, you can look now. Take your last chance. We do not like uncertainty. Instead, we like certainty. Where there is uncertainty, we like deliverance from it. We do not want unpleasantness. We do not want to suffer. We want to avoid trouble if it is at all possible. And hence, the great concern in our nation and around the world, to a greater or lesser degree, on what will be the effects, technological effects upon the world around us when this year ends and we get into the 20th well, the 21st century. And so, as we've looked at Y2K and the biblical response to it over the last three weeks, I felt that it was appropriate for us to look specifically at this element of the life of Joseph. Because if there is any stereotypical Y2K man, we would have to say, Joseph is the Y2K man. That seems like a silly phrase. But as we consider the, the things that we consider may be possibilities when this year ends and the next year begins, and we look at the life of the people in Egypt when the seven years of plenty ended and the seven years of famine began, we see that what we are expecting is as nothing compared with what they went through. And they went through it, they lived through it, they survived through it, they did well through it, because of one man alone, and that man was Joseph. However, we recognize even as we look at this passage, that Joseph said to his brothers, it was not just one man alone. It was one man through whom the power and the grace of God was poured out on not only one nation, but one whole region of the world. As we know... from reading this passage, that it was not just the Egyptians, but also Joseph's family who were in Canaan at the time, who came down to get food because they heard there was food in Egypt. And all of those in the surrounding countries and regions came to Egypt. And because God had worked through Joseph, the land of Egypt was prepared, and there was deliverance from this terrible situation that began as an uncertainty and then quickly became a very real and terrible certainty that without food, because there was no water, no rain falling, there was a terrible drought, all the people would die. How did Joseph get into Egypt? Well, he got there by perfidy, the traitorous and treacherous conduct of his brothers. They were tired of the fact that their father Jacob favored Joseph. They were tired of Joseph's dreams, which he was freely sharing with them, in which the symbolism indicated that the time would come when Joseph would be the leader of his whole family. Not one of the younger, youngest brothers, but instead the head of the whole family. They considered killing Joseph, but they decided when he came out to see where they were, 
sent on a message and an errand by his father that they would simply get rid of him by selling him to slavers. And then he would, like magic, disappear from their lives. And so Joseph wound up far away in the country of Egypt, a country quite foreign to him. Now, Joseph did not spend his time in Egypt moping around, whining about the injustice that caused him to be there, taken from his father and home and delivered as a slave in a foreign land. Instead, he went about the business that he was given in that new land, and he prospered at what he did. He became the most trusted servant in his master Potiphar's house, soon having control over everything in the home so that his master who realized quickly that there was nothing that didn't flourish under the care of Joseph. Potiphar, we are told in Scripture, didn't worry about anything but the clothes on his back and the food that he ate, leaving everything else to Joseph's capable care. And as as had happened at home in Canaan, Joseph was a leader in the household, a man whose hand turned everything he touched into the proverbial gold. But why? Why did this happen? Because the Lord was with Joseph. Because Joseph devoted himself and his life to serving the Lord. We see this amply illustrated in the passage which I read. In which he made it very clear when his brothers were frightened of him that he honored God and that he was devoted to the Lord. He said to his brothers, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? In other words, he knew his position before the Lord. And he indicates in that passage as well in verse 20, great trust in the Lord. At that time in life when everything was going well, but a trust that indicated that he had been devoted to the Lord who had gotten him through the difficult times. (coughs) The Lord who is master of all things... And as the one who alone who brings success or failure, blessing or disaster as he chooses for his glory, poured out blessing upon Joseph and all of those who were fortunate enough to be associated with him. And so it went on like this. Now we have to realize that life in the midst of this situation was not pleasant for Joseph. Without knowing the facts of the case from Joseph himself, we must look at the circumstances realistically. One does not regard it as rewarding and enriching to be a slave in a foreign land. Far from home and family, even if you happen to be blessed with privilege and responsibility, particularly if, as was the case with Joseph, you were in a land which does not recognize the reason for your existence and blessing. The land of Egypt did not worship the Lord God, the only God of the universe. Instead, they worshiped gods of nature. And so, to Joseph, for whom the Lord was most, the most important person in his life, the one upon whom all his faith was placed, He was in truly not just a foreign country, but also a country which regarded him as an idolater because he did not worship their gods. Yet, in the midst of this, Joseph continued where the Lord had placed him. Now, this might seem like a silly thing to say. He continued where the Lord had placed him. What choice did he have? 
And many people in such situations and circumstances make many different choices and follow many different courses of action (coughs) when placed in situations that are not even half as difficult or unpleasant as this. They seek to squirm and wiggle their way out of it in any way possible (coughs) at any cost. As a slave, it would have been difficult for Joseph to leave. However, even though he couldn't leave in body, (coughs) he could certainly have left in willpower and strength and determination and in mind. Many people in such situations live in a fantasy world (coughs) in which they are not putting any part of themselves into the very real concrete world that is unpleasant to them. And yet Joseph was in this situation, and he was so dedicated and devoted to what he did (coughs) that the Lord was able, let's put that in there as well, was able to pour out blessing upon Potiphar's household through him. It was not a situation where Joseph paid no attention to anything, and the Lord poured out blessing despite Joseph. It was a situation where Joseph, in the midst of his situation, devoted himself paid attention to details, both large and small. And because he persisted to live in that unpleasant situation and to give everything he had to it because he was serving the Lord, the things that he did succeeded. But then his situation got worse. For Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph, and when he refused her advances... She got back at him and accused him of doing what she had done to him. She said he had made advances to her. Potiphar, furious, had Joseph thrown into the dungeon. Genesis 39:19. When his master heard the story his wife told him, saying, This is how your tra- slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, <coughs> the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph had gone from the lap of the luxury, a place where he was his father, a wealthy man's favorite son of many sons, with great wealth, to slavery. To privilege again as the head of Potiphar's household, to dungeon with no prospect of release. Not the time for visions of freedom and success. Prison is the place for a lot of people to do a lot of thinking. And in that thinking, many become full of hatred and bitterness, seeking whom they will blame for what they consider the injustice of their situation. There's not only very real prisons or dungeons where people do these things, but any unpleasant circumstance provides the occasion for people to look around, to cast around them any way in any direction, to blame others for the situation in which they find themselves. Many grown children turn to their parents and blame them for deficiencies of home or education or wealth. That's just one example. Joseph in prison had plenty of time at his hands to consider who he would blame, and he had some people to blame who truly were guilty for the injustices against him. First, his brothers who had sold him into slavery, And then Potiphar's wife, who had unjustly and wrongly accused him, and then Potiphar, who had accepted his wife's uh, unjust accusation. 
So Joseph could easily have stood in prison, thinking about the wickedness of his brothers, blaming them as well for his latest setback. If they hadn't sold me into slavery, I would never be here, and so I wouldn't be in Potiphar's house, and I wouldn't be in prison. Getting angry, bitter, causing this to go on day after day. If this had been Joseph's path, the path that he took, he literally would have rotted there in the dungeons of Egypt. But again, he pursued a different course. He did not. Because of his faith in the Lord, instead he made himself useful once again. He quickly became a leader in the prison as he had been a leader in Potiphar's household. And again, everything he did succeeded. It went like clockwork. He gained the favor of the head of the prison so that he was soon in charge of the other prisoners and theirs' welfare. Joseph was a man, to put it in a simplistic way, Joseph was a man with a work ethic, as we use the phrase, that would not quit. He wouldn't stop. He wouldn't give up. He wouldn't get discouraged and slack off. Instead, he put himself into his work wherever he was. <clears throat> whatever his job, whether it was one that was... He was worthy of accomplishing or a job that was beneath him. See, he didn't ask the question, is this job beneath me? Is this situation an unfair one? And if it's unfair, then I just won't do it. He simply worked diligently to gain the favor. Who? Whose favor? To gain the favor of the Lord. And in the process, he gained the favor of his boss or his master. It was the same in the prison as it had been in Potiphar's house. Although he'd been thrown in prison through the anger of his master, he was soon elevated to a position of absolute authority. So that like Potiphar, the prison warden could tend to his own personal affairs and ignore prison matters because Joseph was in charge. How extraordinary this man was. Genesis 39.20 While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warder. So the warder put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warder paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There were never so many people not paying any attention to their jobs as there were in Egypt in Joseph's time. First Potiphar, and then the prison warder, and then, of course, we know it becomes Pharaoh himself. (laughs) An extraordinary situation indeed. How could he persevere in prison with no hope? Or was Joseph simply one of those incurable optimists who could get slapped in the face ten times a day and say again and again, thank you, it could have hurt worse. There was certainly opportunity if Joseph was simply an incurable optimist who saw good in any situation. There was certainly opportunity for his optimism to be dulled before he got the chance to leave prison. Yet there is no evidence that he became cynical or disillusioned before he left the bars behind. <clears throat> this past Sunday, I mentioned a young man in his, in his 20s named John Reyes, who is serving six months for trespassing in the Lynchburg City Jail. Now, I heard this young man interviewed on the radio this past week, 
And it was astounding. It was a great encouragement to me because he said jail is a good place to be. After all, weren't nearly all of the epistles were written in jail. I think sometimes it's easy for us to forget these things. <clears throat> and to think that certain situations are situations we never want to be in. Who wants to be in jail? No one. <clears throat> and yet, is it so bad? Well, we could certainly make it so bad by our attitude towards it. But if God is everywhere, always present everywhere, which is what the word <clears throat> omnipresent means, as a spirit, he is always present everywhere, then he is in jail also, correct? Yes. So if we are in jail, and he is there with us. <clears throat> this is the cause for Joseph's hope, even in the dungeons of Pharaoh's kingdom in Egypt. <clears throat> if his hope was not dimmed, it was not because circumstances had treated him well, it was because his hope throughout his life had been placed in the Lord. He had every confidence in the Lord. And a man does not, after he has gone through what he considers to be great injustice and unfairness, suffering bitterly at the hands of others, a man does not all of a sudden come up with a principle that gives God the glory for it. <clears throat> if he has been bitter throughout it. And so what Joseph said to his brothers when they were afraid that he was going to persecute them after their father died is an indication of his heart's attitude throughout and his reliance upon God. <clears throat> Verse 20 of Genesis 50, a passage that you may have heard on various occasions. He said to his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, at the point when Joseph was suffering this injustice, he did not know what good would come of it. The only empty blank that Joseph has filled in that he did not believe throughout his life was what good God intended it for. And now at this point in their lives, he knows. <clears throat> And so, at the point when Joseph was in prison, <clears throat> he is obviously living as a man in the midst of terrible circumstances who believes the first part of what he said to his brothers. Brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what? He didn't know. <clears throat> Have you ever been in a foreign place <clears throat> wondering what was going to happen to you and not having any influence whatsoever on the outcome. <clears throat> when Sandy and I were in Columbia working on the adoption of Francis and David, I remember the day that I woke up, and <clears throat> as the day went on, I realized with a terribly unpleasant feeling that we had been in the country for 31 days. <clears throat> That's a good amount of time if you've only expected to be there for 14 days. But that number, 31, takes on new significance when you remember, as I did with a sinking heart, that your visa is for 30. We had had Franny and David with us for all but two of those days in the country, but the judge who was to sign the adoption papers continued to refuse. 
<laughs> so week followed week, and we felt hopeless. Then we overstayed our visa. We went down to DOS, the equivalent of both the Immigration and Naturalization Service and the FBI all rolled into one. There were guards with machine guns milling around the entrance. We went through two or three visits before, after paying a hefty fine, we got a lengthy typewritten paper explaining our situation, the fact that we had broken the law, and which, to our great relief, gave us an extension of our visa and hence more time to stay in the country so that we would not have to leave David and Francis and return here without them. <clears throat> Such a situation is one which some of you may have experienced, perhaps much worse. Ours would not, was not pleasant, but certainly not half as unpleasant as many have been through, particularly since we had such a helpful, experienced, and good friend in Lee Henriksen to shepherd us through the process. <clears throat> but there are few feelings as helpless as being in the bureaucratic process with no rights, whether you were a foreigner, as we were in Colombia, or a slave, as Joseph was in Egypt. Where do you find hope and confidence? <clears throat> In a foreign country that is not your own, you can often not appeal to justice, because in many respects that country may not grant that you have rights to justice. <clears throat> Joseph had no appeal possible. He could not say, I'm going to appeal this decision. I should not be here. There was nothing he could do, even though it was Potiphar's wife who was to blame for his imprisonment. We note in the pages of Scripture that there is no record Joseph told Potiphar what really happened when Potiphar's wife tried to take him into her bedroom. He suffered this injustice in silence. We have a record of what happened, the injustice that this was in the Scriptures, because it is important for us to know that Joseph was suffering without deserving punishment. He had done nothing wrong. Yet note this. He persevered. He wound up finding his purpose, serving people all throughout the region because he was willing to be punished unjustly. As we consider times of great national turmoil, whether it's in our nation in the past, the prospects for the future, or in other nations throughout history, I think it's key to note that those who have provided the greatest assistance in those times have often been those who have gone through times which have seemed very much like wilderness times, times of great difficulty, persecution, or trouble. I cannot help, I know I use him as, a, as an illustration somewhat frequently, but I cannot help of the thinking of the wilderness years of Winston Churchill when he was in the cabinet, and then uh, Germany was rearming, and he kept on saying we cannot allow our military to go downhill. We must rearm ourselves. We must put money into this. There is a great danger there. And as a result of his being one delivering prophetic message to his government at the time when his government had no wish to hear it or act on it, he lost his position. He spoke very few times in Parliament. He was not one of those belonging to the ministry. And this occurred for many years until what he had been prophesying all along came to pass. And then at that point, they said, he was right, we need him. <clears throat> the 
The account of Joseph's life continues in prison because two servants of the king were thrown into prison and put, as was everyone else, under Joseph's care. The king's baker and his wine steward, the man who baked the king's bread, the man who tasted his wine to make sure that it was good and harmless with no poison in it. These men had displeased the king, so the king said, Go to the dungeons. While they were there, both men had dreams on the same night. Joseph noticed that they were distressed and asked them why. They told him their dreams, and he indicated that the interpretation of dreams came from the Lord and that he could tell them what their dreams meant. The baker's dream indicated that within three days he would be executed by the king. The wine steward, the cupbearer, His dream foretold that within the same number of days, he would be restored to his position. And as Joseph delivered this interpretation of the dreams to these two men, he said to the cupbearer, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing wrong to deserve being put in a dungeon. Now, there's the declaration of a man who does not like his situation. Get me out of this dungeon. I do not want to be in this prison. And I am here unjustly. And yet, what happened? The Lord intended for Joseph to spend more time in prison. But the cupbearer left the prison and was overjoyed, elated at his release from prison that he was restored to his position. One year went by, and two years went by, and Joseph had heard nothing from the only appeal that he could make. I've helped you. Please help me. And then Pharaoh had a dream. The wine bearer, cup bearer, wine taster heard of it, and he said, Now I am reminded of my faults. There is a man in prison. And that is the beginning of the change in Joseph's situation. Pharaoh had a dream in which he dreamt of seven fat cows eating along the banks of the Nile. Seven gaunt, skinny cows came along and they ate up the seven fat cows. And he was greatly distressed. He woke up. He fell asleep again and he dreamt seven fat ears of corn on one stalk and seven skinny ears of corn came along and ate up the seven fat ones. His dream bothered him greatly, and his chief cupbearer said, I know a man who can give you the interpretation of that dream. So we read in Genesis 41, 14, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Note, in verse 15 of chapter 41, Joseph's first response to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Joseph was just out of prison. He had the opportunity to deliver a a first, a great first impression, to build himself up. And he did not make the kind of impression that most would have sought to make. 
He did not use the opportunity to exalt himself. He didn't speak of his own situation at all. He didn't use the opportunity to flatter the king. Instead, he gave credit to the Lord. This is nothing I can do, but God can do it. This reveals the attitude of his heart through his long imprisonment. Not only did Joseph not get bitter at his brothers, who sold him into slavery after planning to kill him, nor did he get bitter at Pharaoh's wife, or Potiphar's wife, nor did he get bitter at Potiphar, even though the result was being imprisoned, nor did he get bitter at the wine taster, the cupbearer, who had forgotten him for two long years, and above all else, overarching all of these, <clears throat> because Joseph was clearly a man who saw God in control of all things, he was not embittered against the Lord. He did not say, Lord, these people put me here. Why did you allow it? Instead, he came out in the first opportunity he had to give a response. His response was one that honored the Lord. I am nothing without God. And that is what he said. Joseph gave all credit to the Lord. This is an indication that this man who came up out of the prison, and it indicates that this prison, well, we think of our prisons today, relatively, not any place you'd like to be, but they're relatively clean places. What does the passage tell us about Joseph when they got him out of prison? When he had shaved and changed his clothes, if they mention it, <laughs> it means, oh boy, they better have shaved him and claimed, changed his clothes. Or the king would have said, Pharaoh would have said, yuck, somebody get this man out of here. He stinks. Just look at him. Yet the interesting thing to note is that Joseph was completely different from most people. While most people would naturally have cleaned and changed their clothes, one thing that they would have been incapable of doing would have been to clean the inside, as we were talking about in the adult Sunday school class this morning. But Joseph's outside was clean, and his inside was already clean. Fresh and refreshing, honoring to the Lord. There was no need to take a whisk broom into his soul and say, let's now get rid of this bitterness. <clears throat> because it's time for you to be useful. He had been doing the job of tithing the house of his soul throughout the time of his injustice and suffering. And the point that I wish you to remember most clearly from this passage is that his usefulness for the Lord and to save the lives of those in terrible difficulty through the famine years that were to come was solely because he had kept his soul clean when he was suffering injustice. He had trusted in the Lord. The psalmist speaks <clears throat> of all the difficulties that have come upon him and upon his life. Job speaks of the difficulties. And he says, yet will I praise him. If you and I want to be people who go into but possibilities for Y2K or whatever other difficulties we may suffer in our lives, whether it's the difficulty of rejection by those in our family or those we love best, whether it's severe illness, 
whether it's bankruptcy, whether it's loneliness, whether it's lack of achieving the goals and the ambitions that we had sought to achieve, what we must do to be prepared for these things is seek first and foremost and throughout every step of the way to be right with the Lord. If we do not keep our house clean, our soul clean before him, if we do not continue to trust in him and in his work in our lives for our blessing, even when it's not blessing that we're getting, it seems like it's not blessing, we're in prison, we're slaves, we're suffering greatly. If we do not continue to trust in him, then the time will not come when we are called out of prison and used for his glory and to bless others. But if we continue to do those daily works that seem like the drudgery of our household, making the beds, the sweeping the floors, the mopping up the dirt, the cleaning things out, the dusting, those things seem like great drudgery. And as we work on our souls before the Lord, they seem sometimes like drudgery as well. But if we want to come out of difficult times and be used by him, then we must do those things. And in doing them, he can use the difficult situations to refine us for his usefulness. As he said to his brothers, this is a great statement of faith, one that we must take to heart. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done saving of many lives. He has not focused on the harm. He says, you intended harm. He doesn't point to the prison. He doesn't point to the slavery. He just says, yes, you intended bad. God meant it for good, and let me show you what has happened. So whatever difficulties we face, look to the example of Joseph who was the one who was amply prepared for whatever came. And because of his spiritual preparation, he prepared the people of his land for the greatest disaster in years and brought them through it by God's grace safely, all to the glory of God. Let us pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would help us to see that we must trust in you. We must trust in you alone regardless of what is happening in our lives, through faith believing that you are working out glorious plans for us. Whether we become second only to the king in in terms of our situation, or whether we remain in the prison, as Joseph did, whether we suffer many things, or whether we have many triumphs, help us to remember that it is your desire that we trust in you. Whatever other intend, others intend for harm for us, that you intend it for good, not only for us, but for those around us, and that by your power you will turn those things that others intend to harm us to our blessing and to the blessing of others, if we will trust in your work bringing about blessing in us and not become embittered and not <clears throat> feel sorry for ourselves or stop working because of our poor situations. Help us to have trust in you that grows every day. In Jesus' name, amen.